G'day everyone. Proud to say Bar Karate is brought to you by Radix Nutrition, makers of the most technically comprehensive nutrition products that have ever existed. Unlock your potential with Radix. G'day listeners, welcome to Bar Karate, the sailing podcast. My name's Jordan Spencer and it's that time of the week where we get to hang out with some really cool sailors, but of course have to share the mic with my two idiot mates. First off, Mr Brett Perry. Greetings, exalted one. BP. G'day all. Um, very nostalgic kind of week, I suppose, uh, coming up for our listeners. Mm. Um, plenty of, uh, well, I guess plenty of experience, hasn't he? So we're uh, looking forward to having a chat today. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, you've given some hits away. Let's bring in the other bloke. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. Mr. Nick Byers. Speaking of nostalgic, gents, and this oh, is top secret, so don't top tell anyone. Top secret. Okay. Top secret. Um, we were in close. Tell us. On on Friday at the Cruising Yacht Club of South Australia, we took part in, I won't, I won't, the secrecy is who was there, as in what group, but it's the new golf day, sailing in the Elliots. Mm-hmm. Um, bit oh, yeah. of a corporate gig, you know, 40, 50 people come down, have a bit of fun out on the water, and then come back and, you know, they do some sort of business stuff or a bit of a chat. Mm-hmm. The great John Bertram gave a bit of a, gave oh, a talk. He just, he just flew in, did he? Just just rocked up, just came happened down. to be in the area. Um, really insightful. I mean, we touched on it a little bit with our interview with John, like on a lot of the stuff with um, swimming um, and a lot of his mind thoughts and how they how they got to that and those elements. So for the listener, if you haven't heard that, just search the back catalogue. Uh, from memory, Jordan? Uh, Remember from the memory, episode? episode 120? Yeah, right. Yeah, there Ooh, you go. Should be, in that, should be in that area. But um, basically, <laughs> some really insightful stuff and just shows the parallels also between sport and business. I know, Jordan, we banged on about that for quite some time. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Bloody good. And the sailing itself, it was just that perfect conditions, just enough breeze to be able to just swing the boats around and in close quarters and have a bit of fun. So, yeah, yeah, it was bloody good. Specifically the last race when I hooked the top mark and I had to jump over the side (laughs) (laughs) and clear it from the kill. Oh, no. But I'd won the day by then anyway, so that didn't matter. So, yeah, carry on. Carry on. I'd expect nothing key. less. I'd expect nothing less. So that, uh, that, quick, that shout out to, quick shout out to Julian Newton, by the way, for organising such a great event. Oh, well done, Julian. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Julian. Um, cool, cool, cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Very cool. Should we bring in our guest? Because this one is one Ooh. hell of a chat. Yep. Absolute well, we ripper. Well okay. Absolute well. ripper. It's what we're here for, really, isn't it? Um, I have to thank uh, a little bit of the detail here from a bloke called John Forbes, uh, ex-Olympic sailor. Um, just want to highlight a couple of things we've worked out. So in 1933, we had the first sighting is this of... Like, is this like a, who am I? Yeah. Who am I? I was born in 1933. Oh, just, just, just making this is, you guys... This is your life. This is your life. <laughs> the first reported sighting of the Loch Ness Monster. Um mm. Canned beer was first made. Neoprene oh, I, I was remember. invented. Fiberglass was invented. 
And exactly nine months before the 6th of October 1933, the most powerful earthquake in 180 years hit Japan. Exactly Mm. nine months. And then Mm. on the 6th of October 1933, the great Mike Fletcher was born. Now, for those who don't know who our guest is, Fletch is the original coach. He invented coaching, and you can deny he's that. A result, all you want. He's a result of the Japan earthquake. <laughs> oh, many things are a result of the Japanese earthquake, BP. Let me tell you that. Anyway, so our guest today is Mike Fletcher. He's going He's a. I mean, he's a sail maker. He's been a coach at I don't know eight or nine or ten Olympics. Um, world champion, Australian champion, coach at America's Cup, coaching everything. So he's an absolute legend. I call him Fletch. You boys call him coach. And uh, we just want to welcome him to the show. Great to see you, Fletch. Mate, you're a legend. I've got to say, how many people do you think you've coached over the years? Uh, about half the population <laughs> in Australia. Because <laughs> I... Uh, I got into it in originally just building boats and winning a whole bunch of championships and stuff because I was a I was a pattern maker, which is fine woodwork. Yep. And of course, I made the best moths you've ever seen in your life and rigged <laughs> them up, won a whole bunch of national championships and stuff. So I got pretty well known. But then I went into um, you know I built a fourteen footer and that was. Something I shouldn't have done. International 14. Yeah. Yeah, the ones they sell in Australia. And then I built a Flying Dutchman. Yeah. I realised that how big, much bigger they were than a moth. <laughs> you started rubbing them down and fairing them. And trying to find a place to keep it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how I sort of got started. And then I got I got uh, headhunted by a fitting guy. Uh, who started FICO and um, I was I was working for a big factory that made industrial laundry machinery so we had stainless steel it wasn't a well-known thing, thing to use on boats then but I had four on stainless and the guys in the factory used to go Get us that fletch and we'll polish it for you. And we'd come out mirror finished, you know. Right. Instead of being a kitchen appliance, it was a boat part. Blocks and everything I made. And then this guy saw it and he said, do you want to come with me? He said, sure, there's a big market for stainless steel fittings, you know, the world market. So I went with him. I'd had working for the big engineering company. And we started off and, and we went from 10 people. We used to make aqualungs and telescopic telescopic sights and things like that, real fine engineering. Yeah. And we went from 10 people to about 60 in 12 months. Wow. This is doing, doing boat parts. Built a new factory over at Lemons. Well, we had a really good production engineer stamping things out and turning things up. So we just started making them by the hundreds and sold them over. And it turned out it, was, it ended up, it was FICO. Yep. Yeah, which mm. was... Same as the same thing as Ronstan, but we went in, into it big time and mass producing and stuff. So that's how I got into the the boat business, the fitting business, and and making all my own stuff. And then um, and then I got got headhunted again by Colin Rory from Sydney, and he wanted to start Elstrom Sailor. 
because he'd met Paul Elfstrom at the games in Melbourne. And he said, do you want to come up and run it? And I said, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> he said, well, I'm going over to Denmark for six months and learning the business. And I talked to my wife and she said, oh, it sounds like a good thing to do. So I went and did it. And she, she stayed in Melbourne with our two kids. And um, and I got stuck into that. And when we got it all working, we, we she came up to Sydney and we had the loft was in Bathurst Street. Just, just up from, from where Darling Harbour is now. Yeah. So, so as soon as I got into the sale making business, I started working with making sales for people who wanted to go fast, and and I started explaining to people how the sales fit fitted the mast and how the flexibility made the boats have acceleration and all this stuff. And I started going around yacht clubs and viewing up and say, oh, can you give us a talk? I said, yeah, okay. So that's how I I guess that went, went on into coaching. Yeah. But, I mean, that that is a pathway, you know, like for, for the overseas audience, Fletch was kind of the the original coach is kind of how we view you, you know, like you were, you were the first person that did all this sort of stuff, Fletch. And, and I think, hence the name, hence the name, lovingly known as coach. <laughs> and I think, you know, there's a hundred percent. Somebody said to me the other day, who taught you to coach? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I picked just, up a manual down at the local bookshop. <laughs> <laughs> how to sail by Frank Bethwaite. <laughs> yeah. I spent a lot of time with Frank Bethwaite. When he was building masts and I was building sails and I used to build the masts to fit his sails that had the right bend. And he taught us a lot about you know, how, how the bend on the mast affected acceleration and you know, life in the boat and everything like that. Mm. Things that most people don't know about. Yeah. So, so, when, uh, so when the Taser went from uh, Dacron sails to Mylar sails, I was with Frank. I was working with Julian at the time. And Frank uh, wanders out and he goes, we're going to test the mast, BP. And so he uh, lays the boat on the side and we get uh, five 10-litre things of water yeah. and we hang them all different points on the mast to get the mast in sideways with the sails on yeah. to check the sail shape. So there you go, Frank Bethwaite. It's probably one of my sails, was it? I don't know. From what I've made, all these development sails. And I made the original sails for the, t- the taser. <laughs> That, and we made them for their production bats for a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you you had a lot of successful careers, Fletch, you know, like this FICO. I remember having FICO fittings on my young early boats and, you know, then the, yeah. the sail making, Elstrom, there's still some of those Elstrom styles floating around on the harbour, I think. And then... Um, I see them going past on... on cruising boats and things like that and go, oh, there's one there. <laughs> And now this coach, you know, where, you know, you were the coach of, you've been coach of Olympic champions, you know, like I don't even know, eight, nine, ten Olympics you've been coaching at and you've coached so many medals, you coached the America's Cup, like you're part of Australia too, you know, when it won that and, you know, but not only that, you set up a lot of the training programs that we used, you know, that people like us three went through, Fletch. Yeah. When I... um when I came back from the America's Cup, the Yachting Australia, I was doing coaching for them and I'd done a couple of Olympics, but I was doing it like um, at no pay. 
they used to pay the expenses and stuff, but they never paid me anything. Wow. And I used to do it because it was good for my business and good to see what was happening in the world and stuff like that. So when I did Australia 2, I actually, the sound-making business got into computerization, yeah. and that was boring for me because <laughs> everybody could do it. And everybody was selling good sales. You drive out in the harbour and good, that's a good sale. Oh, there's another one. <laughs> so, you know, it got back. The sound-making business was being at the yacht club every night, seeing who was building a new boat and getting on there. Yeah, it's like, the, I hate that. So I just said, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then the America's Cup came up and, the, and Dick Pratt was running Challenge 12. Yeah. And they wanted me to go down there. And I said, well, are you going to pay me? Says, yeah, yeah, he made me a good offer. And I said, well, if you pay me that right through to the end of the America's Cup, I'll come with you. And and I just got the screwdriver out, took the Elstrom sail down, and that was the end of Elstrom sail. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> didn't sell it? And just I started. Yeah. Eh? You didn't sell it? You just I pulled don't. the sign down? Nobody, yeah, plenty of people wanted to buy it, but they wanted me to keep running it oh, yeah. to get my name. That that old chestnut. That old chestnut. <laughs> yeah, chestnut. that's what those businesses businesses are like. So I just said, no, nah, I'm not doing that anymore. So you've gone outside. You've got the Phillips head screwdriver in hand on ladder. On ladder, you've climbed up up the, up there. You've taken the sign down and off you go to the Australia too. Do you want to tap into that, lads, and see where that story goes? Because it down. I went to the cha- channels twelve oh. with them. Yep. But the Australia Two thing, I was only with them at the end. Yep. And but I'd I'd worked with Bondi's boats and things in West Australia because I used to go over there and steer their their training boats against, you know, Australia Two and boats that were getting cramped up to do Amer- America's Cup trials and stuff like that. So I used to go over there and and you know take a couple of my good crew with me and we'd go out and set one up and, and go for them. So that's where I started doing it in Australia too. Um, I really didn't have anything to do with them then, but I had quite a lot to do with John Bertram because he was doing Olympics. Yep. And he did he did two Olympics with me as coach, and second one he won a bronze medal. And then shortly after that he was doing the America's Cup. And when he got to the end of it, um, Dick Pratt said to Bond- Bondi, um, well, I'd like to stay in touch with this, you know, and I've got the boat there and all the crew, and you can have the whole lot, whatever you want. So <laughs> Bondi and and, uh, and um, what's his name? Let's keep her again. John, <laughs> John Bertram. Bertram said, we don't want anything except Fletch and the engineer from Savages that was working for, the, for us. Yeah. So... So I just moved over with them because I coached him through the two Olympic Games. Yeah, yeah. So I did pretty well. And the first thing he said, well, I want you to go over and spy on the, on, on the Yanks to see what they're doing. But, yeah. just, just imagine you running around with a little spy hat, a bit of music <laughs> on in the background. Hanging around, you know. <laughs> Dennis Connor, who's this bloke? And he looked, at me for, there was no wind. I'd chuck a line over the side and catch a few fish and put it in <laughs> On the end of the jetty, just whistling away. And I thought I was doing pretty well. I bumped into one of the guys that was working for one of the Yank teams. 
And then he had a blooming coach boat, half, half full of big fish, you know, and I'm saying, where did you get them? Said, Just next to Australia too. Yeah, he, he said, well, I, I, I lay all the marks and I've got fi- fixed hooks on all the mark lines. <laughs> so he baits them up, lays, lays the marks, comes back four hours later and pulls in, pulls the lines up with big fish. All the fish on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty yeah. He was a professional fisherman. Well, there's a good idea for our bark party barge, lads. I like it. I like it yeah. a lot. That's very cool. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, the thing about you, Fletch, is you sort of, the best way to describe you is, you know, you're not one stuck on the graces, mate. It's like you're a practical bloke. You're a, you you get, get shit done, you know, like there's yeah. no excuses. Just do the work, but, you know, not here for show, here to to perform that's basically how i look at you mate yeah i set up set up a lot of sch- schemes for you know we we had one thing was in perth my mate over there set up yes sale west sale and and he got, got me to go over there and coach the kids and, and i started doing that and then i went back and did it the next year and, and they had quite a few people that were coaching there so why don't you get your coaches and I'll coach coach them, and you run the the you know the the yep. teams, yep. and and I'd go out and spend a day with all the coaches and stuff, and that worked really well, and then um, that went on for well, ten years. They got hundreds of people through that in Perth, so we had one of those in each state eventually, mm. because I said I went and talked to the yachting Australian people, and I said. You guys are sending, spending a lot of money sending people overseas. They go over there and they they race. And they've got no idea what's happening to them. No coach, nobody to watch them. And they come back and I'd say, well, how about the 470 sales? Are they getting deep or flat? Or somebody would say, well, oh, they're really deep. And this year, and the other one would say, oh, they're really flat this year. And obviously none of them knew what, what they were talking about. <laughs> So then I went to Yachting Australia and I said, we're spending a lot of money sending people away to get that result, which is nothing. Just they went over there and get their heads kicked in and come back, suffering from hugely from... Depression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of being on top of the world. So I suggested that I get yeah, the top 10 people in every state and I'll start up a state squad. And I'll get somebody to run it. You know, one of the fathers of the kid, kid or something, I'll say, you, you're going to run, you've got time to run. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So he'd organise the coach boat and the fuel and all that stuff. So I used to visit them about, you know, once every every two months and just go around the States. Mm-hmm. And I'd mm. coach this team, you know, this group. And we had notes on the weather from clouds and we had, you know, I used to take them to the sail loft and show them how the shapes put in the sails and how you could change the depths and stuff like this. It's pretty easy. And um, and what the difference, you know, depths, how it affected the twist and the stiffness of the masts and all that stuff. So it, we actually went through all that stuff with them, testing mast bends and all that stuff. So they learned all this. And then they went away and they, they came back with much better results. But not only that, they came back with a really good knowledge of what was going on over there. 
and I started going with them then as well. I was going to say, so you would have been starting to go there and be hands-on, which was yeah. another set of eyes. Yeah. So, yeah, that went on for about oh, eight, eight or nine years, and then, yeah, there's a new management came in, and they said, oh, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Bang. Well, Fletch, oh, I actually was part of that. Um, and I remember doing yeah, what that. What happened to it? I remember. <laughs> no, not getting rid of it. I was, I was one of your students, mate. I was part of the squad. And which, oh, which squad were you in, mate? Sassy, the South Australian one. And oh, South Australian, yeah. Yeah, and I remember I was saying to Bicey before, it was like... Yeah, one of the poor South Australians that never got any information from the hardly done by. <laughs> we were, the, we were, but... Big, it's about, you're about to hear it, Fletch. South Wales, eh? <laughs> well, <laughs> I remember this one day, Fletch, it was like 25, 30 knots. We're young, me and Sandy Higgins, I was saying with Sandy Higgins, who you'll remember. And... and um. We were sailing a 5-0, and it was windy as buggery and big swell coming in. And we are sitting there talking about it, and you, I said to I think I said it, like, oh, I think it's 25-plus here, Fletch. And he's going, you've just got ah, 20 if it's a day. Just get out there. Don't be soft. So we get out there, and it's large, and it's on. And you're behind the coach boat, and you're just giving it to Sandy, like giving it to Sandy because he's oversteering the boat, apparently. So then you, you stopped us. And then you threw something and said, right, put this blindfold on. And then you made a sail upwind in 25 to 30 in a 5 in massive seas, blindfolded. And I was just going, what are we doing? But anyway, it worked. It was good. But it you was... weren't both, both blindfolded. No, no, no. I was on the wire. Just, <laughs> I was just yeah, that's, how, that's how I used to teach people to feel sail. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And later on, I used to make them tie a rope on the tiller about three foot long, so you couldn't push it. All you could do was pull it. Yeah. Okay. So you had to have the boat balanced. So you used to come up and you wanted to go down. You had to do it very carefully. So instead of going, if it was a tiller, you got feel stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, it worked. I, I, I'm, I, I remember it. those things. And, and yeah, the lasers were some imbecile won a world championship or something. And he was one of, one of these steerers. So everybody started staring like that. And I said, you guys have got, you're nuts. Oh, well, this guy won the world championship. And I said, I bet he wouldn't win it if you guys knew how to steer properly. So <laughs> I started getting tied a string on the tiller. I'd get a couple of them to do it. And they'd be ended up the fastest in the group straight away. Yeah, yeah. It'd take them five minutes to do it. Later, later on one day when I was coaching the 29ers, one kid came over in tears and he busted his tiller extension about 10 minutes before the start of the second race. And I said, tie a string on it here, up on here, tied it on and, and stay with us. He said, I can't do that. He said, just sail up there and do it. I'll show you. And he and he went out and in 10 minutes he could do it. And he went in and raced and he had the best race he's ever had. He finished second. <laughs> so he just <laughs> held it in, with, in, the, in the helm position and used, trims, used the sails to bear away. Yeah, well, you didn't do this all the time. Yeah, well, that, that guy, that guy in the laser was just getting some weed off his rudder. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was there I've was heard a trend. All those excuses before. Yeah, <laughs> there was a trend of telling people to steer to all the 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 flat spots in the water, you know, and that's where I think a lot of people started steering like that. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, I was brought up in Melbourne. Yeah, at the sail in Melbourne, Port Phillip Bay. So I was used used to rough water. Yeah, and when I went over to Adelaide, it's just oh, here we go. 
just like Melbourne. Just mm, like exactly. Melbourne. Yeah. 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 No, it's it's cool. I, I wonder, Fletch. There's a question: Was there ever anyone that you coached that we sort of lost to sailing that could have been could have been something special? Is there was there ever someone that you know they just fell out of the sport even though they had all this talent? No, I okay. don't think so. Okay, I used to grab them and. Like a lot of guys I saw, like the guy that just won the world championship in the laser, Wern. Matty, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was in Perth and I was there when he came into the, the state squad and I said to the guys after a couple of days, I said, this guy here is going to be great. How do you, what do you see? You just see somebody who feels how's the boat. The boat's going straight like this. It's not getting hacked around. It doesn't change angle of heel at all. And they're just sitting there holding the tiller and, and feeling it through the water. You can teach it, but it takes a long time. And there was a guy that, uh, that uh, Chris Hampton from Melbourne with his etchel. He said, can you come give us some coaching? And I was somewhere where there was a lot of etchels. And I went down and I said, what are you doing here, Fletch? And I said, I'm going out in the etchel. Who hey, with? That's Chris Hampton. They said, Jesus, be careful, he'll kill you. <laughs> and he runs into everybody and, and, and said, this, uh, so and so. And he had two guys who I know who he is. Well known. Yep, I know who he is. And they were just making asses of themselves. Oh, really? And just <laughs> crucifying him about everything. So I said, said to him, get rid of those two and just get a couple of ordinary guys. And I told him, I said, You've got to learn how to feel this boat and you've got to learn about the rigs. So I set up a photography program to photograph the sails and work the depths out and everything. And he got that running. He had more information on etchel sails and I'd, get, I'd just have a look at this, you know, an oil sail or something. That's a too flat in the head. And I was it into a loft somewhere and I'd change it. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden they'd get a sail that's a rocket. It's got north sails in it, but it wasn't. <laughs> was Secretly Elstrom. Yeah. And there's most of the sales in that are, you know, Ian Murray and all those guys use, they've all been recut mm-hmm. and hacked around mm. by experts. Mm. Yeah, you know, and they take the seam up like three millimeters mm. in the top three panels and it just makes the whole difference to the top of the sail when yep. you sheet it on. Yep. And one, if it's flat, you pull it on to get the leech up so you can point. And then the boat gets all tippy and you can't steer it. Yep. And they say, oh, something wrong with the boat. But it's not that. It's the shape of the sails wrong. Hey, um, Fletch, just quick, back to the individuals. You've seen the whole spectrum, but obviously there's some people who are so naturally talented and then the other end of the scale are very technically talented. Yeah. Um, where, where's the balance, do you think? There isn't any. You either know how to sail or you don't. The technical side of it, anybody can do that. Yep. And and just setting a boat up and everything, doesn't matter how well you do it. If you can't steer, you're gone. Yep. And the guys who can steer and just know how they've got great feel, they also know how to set the rigs up and things because they have got good feel. But... Like Tom Slingsby was one of those, you know where 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 he's been. 
Mm-hmm. He, he was kind of an advanced laser thing. I was running in Middle Harbour. Somebody said, oh, this guy's coming down from Gosford and he's supposed to be all right. So I said, I'll have a look at him. And we were, raced, we were out training. We had, a, we had Michael Blackburn and a whole bunch of guys like that out there, all the guns. Mm-hmm. And we started. I said, we're going to run a few short races to start with and I'll just have a look at you. And I just went, whoa, where did this guy come from? Mm. Yeah, right. Perfect. And the slop out in middle head, middle head there with, you know, with 15 knots of bloody Norris blowing in the heads and stuff. Just yush, like through it like this. No telemovement, no wobbling around, nothing. And I, <laughs> I said to somebody, I don't know where we learnt that from, but he's one of the naturals. Yep. Mm, and Michael sure. Blackburn was there and he was completely unnatural. Yep. He became one of the top in the world, but sheer determination. Yeah. When yeah. I first got got him, he was in that state court squad in Queensland, and he uh, he was yeah like he couldn't steer well. He was all over the place like this, and they get choppy water there. And I said, "You got to you got to do this." And they got the string on the tiller, and then he started steering with that, and that sort of got him halfway there. The next time I came back about a month later, I went, Jesus, you're perfect. What have you been doing? Been out there every night after work training with the string, not just hacking it around by hand. And and he was a guy that went out there and did what you told him, and he became a world champion. Mm. Yeah, sure. Mm. Amazing he, he yeah. was. And, and he, it was slow down wind. Yeah, and he was a staring downwind the same way, hack, 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 like all over like this. And I said, tie your tiller off in the middle of the boat and just steer it down with your weight. You know, if you want to go that way, learn it to windward. And and I came back about six or eight weeks later and here he's going downwind. It's 20 knots with the tiller tied off. <laughs> wow. Perfect. Perfect. But he was one of the quickest boats in the fleet. Mm. One of the quickest boats in Australia. <clears throat> so he, he just he just did it with sheer determination. When I said to him, "You got to get fit as you can hike," he went and did a physical fitness thing at the university, and came back with the whole, yeah, you know, master's degree and how to hike harder. <laughs> yeah. And he could too. His thesis on hiking. <laughs> yeah, and he just he wrote the book. Nobody could look at him. But Slingsby was a different kettle of fish. He was just, and the other one was Nick, Chris Nicholson. Mm, you heard yeah. of him? Yeah, a little bit. Spent most of my life racing he was the bastard. Five oh five with his brother, yeah. and he got in the state squad up at Lake Macquarie. I was running one, one there, and one in Sydney, and one down south because the squad was too big. And he was the same. He was with his brother. Both was sitting up like dead straight, and it was good breeze. Yeah, you know, he was out in the wire. I was he was sitting staring. His brother's out in the wire. I'm just going Shh, like this, and then the rest of them happened. I got the string out with field, and then I went over and I said to him, "Here, stick the string on your tiller," because I'd been talking to him about it on the shore. I said, "I said you don't need to do it, but just let me see you do it." You tied it on, and nothing changed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so you tested your theory, and it paid off. Yeah, and that's how he was feeling it through the tiller extension. Let's yeah. just go back. You t- Sorry, guys, you touched you touched on that you had John Bertrand 
uh, in the fin. Then where? So John got bronze, and then where did you go after John? So there was, I guess there's a that's the seventies and the eighties, and then Glenn Burkop was he with you? And then no, Berkey was never with me. I went the first Olympics I went to was in Kiel. It was the German Olympics, and the the regatta was out of the Kiel arena that had just been built, and. Um, and I was, I missed out on getting in the Dragons and they ended up making me res, a reserve because I, I could sail Flying Dutchman or Dragon or anything that was there. I could sail at Olympic level. So, you know, if anybody stubbed their toe or something, I would go out and do it. <laughs> and I, I kept trying to push people in front of cars. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, you, that was you, obviously, in the Olympics. Then, then John came along and you ended up coaching him. The first Olympics I did, mm-hmm. and I remember I learned something. Wingnut was there sailing a two-handed thing with a keel on it. it. Was like the latest thing over there, the latest uh, um, world world disaster in having the best boat for the Olympics. And and it was supposed to be like a flying Dutchman in plane, but have a keel on it so you couldn't fall over. And old people could use it as a thing. So, and I went over to, to um, uh, Wingy and he said, can you come out and have a look at us? And I said, yeah. I said, well, what do you know about it? And he said, nothing. He said, all I know is he had a racing flag on the back of the leech, you know, which was very squadron. <sighs> he said, the only thing I know is when that flag's blowing out the back, the boat goes fast. And I went, oh, does it? Yeah, okay. And like three or four years later, I remembered that. There was, was a leech telltale. Yeah, the first <laughs> one ever. <laughs> now they're everywhere. There you go. So, yeah, yeah, love it. That's a cool one. Hey, Fletch, can we, um, I'm on, you can probably not tell this story, you can tell this story, but there is a famous thing from the 84 Olympics with Chris Cairns and Scott Anderson and their. Which one was that? 84, I think, Los Angeles. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they used to sneak out at night and they got a bit of grief for that. Do you remember that story at all? No, nah, no, I remember later on with Mitch Booth and Forbesy. <laughs> Let's not burn all these blokes. I was just, I, I just, I, the story I heard was that the, um, the, the team manager got a bit uh, upset these boys were roaming out on the town at night. And said, yeah. you know, should should we stop them? And they said, I think your your third. I'm trying to remember what you said, but um, uh, if they can root and win, let them keep rooting. That was <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it'd be a good quote from me. <laughs> That's the story. When people definite are t-shirt material. Sailing, when people are enjoying their sailing and doing it well, why do you want to change them? That's our philosophy. And they'd go out, like the boat would be rigged at 10 o'clock in the morning. They'd go out and do three races and come back in at three or something. What are they going to do for the next 10 hours? That's it. Yeah, they used to go. Get in, get in an ice bath, you know, go and do some recovery. No, no, go out and get on it. John Forbes and <laughs> and uh, Darren Bundock got put in, the, in an ice bath at the Institute of Sport. 
I heard them scream from about three blocks away. I said, shit, Jack, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> so you got me. I wouldn't have got it in there in the first place. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, but I, I All remember. The now, wouldn't it? I actually remember I was yeah, at it. So the other, like Mitch Bird and Falsey, yep. they used to go out every night. Yep. And they'd stay out till about 10 or 11 o'clock. And people would say, what are you doing with those? Are you letting those guys just go out and play up every night? I said, they're winning all the races and they're as fit as trouts. And they've got bloody six or seven hours with nothing to do. The boat's immaculate, doesn't need any work on it because it's all been done. I said, well, then they don't drink. Neither of them drink. And they used to go out. And Mitch Booth was a top drummer. Oh. He'd go out and there was a band playing. He'd move in and take over the drums wow. and lift the <laughs> lift the thing like he was he was an ace. Yeah. So yeah, that's and later on when the Olympics got really serious and you weren't allowed to have any fun at all. <laughs> yeah, and people trained just as hard. Yeah. But they all sat around looking at the wall and yeah, it's you reckon the culture's gone a bit. It just wasn't a good scene. No, I hear you. And I think now it's bloody awful. Yeah, they go over there now and they race and as soon as they finish they send you home. Yep. 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 And they got a room full of condoms but nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You have an oxymoron, really. Yeah, it's it? a bit weird. Tell us, um, tell us, Fletch, what was the best Olympics you attended, as far as culture, people, friendships, all those sorts of things. I wasn't Sydney. People always think, <laughs> was it Sydney? And I say, no, no. <laughs> um, I reckon the funnest one we did was Greece. Mm. Oh yeah, Drains there, enough. Two thousand and four. I don't know when it was. I don't don't know when any of them were. <laughs> so, yeah, and it was we were staying in a good place, and we, yeah, there was a pub halfway home. We used to call in there and have a couple of drinks and have dinner and go out sometime somewhere, and we just had a good fun. And it was the water was warm, body temperature. It didn't matter whether you're in it or out of it. It was the same temperature, and yeah, the races were run well and. Yeah, it was good. Wasn't wasn't was am I remembering wrong? Wasn't Greece the one where we did all this, had all this wind data before the Olympics, and then turned up and found out that the the anemometer was behind a wall or something? So it was getting no. poor data. That was that's my memory, but I never heard about that. No, no, I might have been <laughs> might have been the wrong Olympics, Fletch. But anyway, people make these things up. I think. Yeah, it could be, could be. I like spreading stories. Most of the people I knew had. And a moment there's like clouds and people like that. Yeah. They knew not to put them behind walls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and one day we were at some, some Olympics or something. There was a whole bunch of people there. Probably wasn't Olympics because we were all hanging around talking shit. And they um, they all got their clouds said, let's, let's get our all your anemometers and put them along this wall and switch them all and we'll go along and see what the readings are. Oh, that's a good one. That was pretty funny. It was. <laughs> they were all different. Yeah. I love it. Hey, so you, I, I'm guessing you had, because I remember you won, I think you won the Heron Nationals with Colin Beachel as a kid. Um, 
You got. I didn't think anybody would remember that. Oh, mate, he's Jordan here. Our Jordan here is probably the most uh, learned person in sailing. <laughs> Not really. Yeah, people used to get me and give me a hard time about that. Why is that? But we, um, yeah, well, Colin was, I think he was seven or eight, and he was just the right weight, very, very little. Mm. And I said to Kenny, my son was going to do it with me, and now he didn't like getting wet. And I was, said to Kenny, who I knew really well, what's Colin doing? And he said, he's just finishing doing the flying ants, but he'd be available the next day. That was the first heat, so he came and started with me. And, and it was a heron that I built, and it was just a rocket ship. Yeah. And it was amazing because I built it to sell it. The herons were pretty popular because... All the old moth sailors were sailing them with their kids. Yep. So I knew a lot of the people doing it. And they, you know, people were going, oh, you won't get into this. You can't win in this. We know all about this stuff. <laughs> so I built this heron and over about three seasons because I was going to just finish it and sell it and buy a lounge room. <laughs> so, and then that, I was building it in the lounge room in a big house that we were renting. It was just had sanded, rough sanded floors and things. So I got it all framed up, and it was, I was drilled out full size and everything. Didn't draw it off their plants, and um, and I had it ready to put the plywood on. And then we bought a house over in North Ride, so I shifted it over there. It was out in the backyard under a tarp because I didn't have a garage there yet, and so it sat under the tarp for twelve months. And then the next year, I had the garage built. And somebody said, the Heron Championships are on, the Nationals are on in Sydney Harbour. And I looked around and there wasn't anything else I was really interested in doing. So I said, I better finish the Heron off. I said to my wife, and she said, yeah, that'd be a good idea. <laughs> so I, oh, I need a couch. Yeah. I rang B-Show up and said, could you send us a few bits of sp uh, spruce down for the spars with a groove <laughs> cut in them? So he sent them down and I planed them all up and and then uh, put them in the boat, put a sail on it, it'll look good. So I thought I'd better go down and have a little go down somewhere where Middle Harbour they were sailing them and had a, quite a big fleet. So I put a brown paper bag over my head and went down to Leward. <laughs> yeah, nobody, we weren't in a race. We just started down there so we could see everybody and we just went dun 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 dun, dun. God blew everybody away. <laughs> and then I went, took it back to work and I said to the guys, we better make a decent set of sails for this. And we made another set of sails. And and then <clears throat> and then uh, I, I sailed the invitation race, not with Pichot because he was still doing his thing with one of the young girls that was somebody's daughter. And we got second. And then the next day, Colin was there, and he, yeah, he just was good around the boat and stuff. We won every race. Wow. And some of them by half a lap. Wow. And there was like, there's only 80 boats or something there. Into Colin Beachel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Into Colin and Beachel. it was funny. It was a bit of a record, the thing. And, and when we were over in Perth, during the America's Cup with the Kookaburras, getting ready to do the thing. And we used to go up the pub every Friday night and everybody had every yarn. And Bisha came up with a cutting out of the out of a magazine and said, 
said here, he says that Colin and Mike, Fletch, Mike Fletcher's record has been broken. Somebody won the invitation race as well. Oh, Because <laughs> <laughs> it was obviously you didn't want to win the invitation race. Like 20 years later. Wow. Paddy Colin had seen the bit in a magazine. Is that um, is that relationship with that family a strong one for you? Because obviously you've known Colin since that age, and you know that pretty amazing family with Adam and Colin and Ken, yeah. and now the youngsters um, coming through. Yeah, I met him when I first went to Sydney because he was a he was a gun skiff sailor, and he knew Elstrom. He was he Ken. was he, yeah, yeah Ken. He just he loved the Crown and the Elstrom story and all that stuff. So, so I got to know him really quickly. And started making sales for his 16s. And um, and he started winning things, so I started making, I started selling. Jump on that Jump on that train. So that's when I first knew him. And his kids were the same age as mine. Right. So Colin and my son were exactly the same age. So we used to go up and stay at, the, at their loft. They, they lived at the loft. We used to stay up there and the kids used to play together and I used to look after the the yard sometimes when he was away sailing and do that sort of shit. So so we just got to know each other really well and the kids all grew up together. So it was a really nice thing. So so when I needed to do anything, you know, needed some timber to make something like the mast for the parent, I used to get it and I, I was I was sailing at Sounding one of the kids that worked in the loft, he had a chair and he said, um, no, i got the state championships on, I'm trying to find a crew. And I said, what about playing my crew and I'll come and steer it? He said, oh, can you do that? And I said, oh, yeah, I can. I can sail dinghies pretty well. So I went out and did a couple of runs and and then we started straight lining a bit with some of the good boats and we just lacked height all the time. And I pulled the centerboard out and was one of Frank Bethwaite's boards. And they, he always had small boards. Yep. And I said, said to him, I said, this board's not good. So I rang Kenny and I said, you got to hunk up decent timber there. I want to make a centerboard. So I, I said, I'll come in. I'll come home after sailing on Saturday night and stay the night. So I just got it out and band sorted it around and, and shaped it up. I had to plane it up. Shaped it all up and um, sanded it and put a coat of varnish on it, put another coat on the morning, and we used it that afternoon and blew everybody's doors off. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the old days, eh? Yeah. I love it. I love it. And all these things that happen to you, you like it happens to you again when I was coaching the Flying Dutchman guys. They had, it was from Smithy from Hobart, and he kept talking about this bloody carbon fibre centreboard he built for the Flying Dutchman. And they were in the Olympic team. And they were, were tra- training training before we went to the Olympics. And the boat was always tippy and didn't have the acceleration. We were buggerising around with a rig. And all of a sudden I said, where's that centreboard? And he said, oh, it's in the boat. I, he said, I'll stick it out the side. The bottom when we laid a boat over and just see how stiff it is you can jump on the end of it. Doesn't move. And I said, just take it out and throw it away. <laughs> and did you get the board that that came with the boat? Because it was a good production boat. Yeah, I said, put that in. Yep. And the bloody boat took off like a rocket. Yep. yep. And those things they keep happening. Yep. 
Most mm. people don't, they never see it. And they put up with that for the, for the life of the boat. Yep. It won't point or it hasn't got any acceleration and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and they go through the sails, they recut, they do masts, they do all that, but forget about underwater. A lot of money. Yep. Hey, um, Fletch, you've obviously coached a lot of classes in your time. Do any classes stand out significantly for you as far as, you know, producing good sailors or good culture or for any other reasons? Not really. They're all the same? I guess a lot of people start in lasers. Yeah, and you look at them and think, oh, they're a heap of garbage. And they are because the masts then, like I discovered fairly quickly that by looking at a few sails and starting to test some masts, I was working in Singapore and and they had 10 brand new lasers there and I wasn't doing anything for the whole day. So I set up a testing thing and started hanging some weights on them. Like some of them bent this far and some of them bent this far. Yeah, wow. they were just chalk and cheese. So I've got the strong, the, the stiffest one too, the top and bottom pieces. Put the stiffest one together and put the softest one together. And the the guy who was sailing there, he was trying to get in the Olympics. I said, "I've got something for you to do this morning. I'll I'll sail the one with the soft rig, and you sail the one with the stiff rig." And he went out there, and he went like this, like he was mm. about. Five degrees higher all the time, and I thought, "Geez, I might have forgotten how to do this." <laughs> and and then it was only ten knots, so I didn't have to hike too hard. And the swap boats, and I did the same thing to him, only worse. And so then, you did. So you remembered how to sail. Yeah, and then you think these guys are going to world championships, and they all get given a new boat and a new rig, and and they could get, and that happened to Slingsby. He went to the Olympics and just got hammered, and he probably had a really soft mask because I didn't know about him then and wasn't close to it. So, But later on in the Olympics, I, I said to Blackburn, because he was right into it, and I said, you've got to learn to do this. He said, well, it doesn't make any difference. Like, they just give you a new boat. I said, if you hang some weights on it and you know it's really soft, at least you know how to set it up. You know, you can sail with it a lot deeper. Mm. And if you want a stiff one, you probably got to start one with a bit flatter, and just trim it differently. But or run over it with some yeah. thick of it. Make it a Nero four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And there was a lot of them got run over. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> Accidentally in the car park, got run over. Yes. Yeah, something fell on it. Uh, it fell when off. The, the... When the fin masts, like I'd been unstayed masts for years. Because I sailed fins when I first started sailing Olympic stuff, and they were wooden, so yep. you just overnight you get a plane out and plane a hunk off it and be softer and go out and test it and might have a bit of overbend somewhere. And that night you'd glue a bit on it and <laughs> refair it again. So I'd been been involved with all this stuff for a long, long while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Love yeah. It. yeah, I remember. Absolutely, know, it's absolutely. Just, we we. Sorry, go, Jay. No, go. go you, you I was just going to say, look, uh, off air at the start of the show, uh, a certain uh, name got mentioned, and um, we had this person on the show many, well, a couple of years ago, and uh, he had nothing but admiration for you. That name is Adrian Finglass. You've got a bit of a story about Adrian, have you? Yeah, well, he was the one that he and... and, uh, and uh, Squark. Squark. 
Squawks. Squawks. Yeah, Ian Squawks. Friend of the show. I told him he was the wrong weight and, and he, he didn't take any notes, but I coached him right up to the end. And then, then Olympic trials, they flew like buggery. Mm. And that's exactly, yeah, that was me and a fin. So I was never heavy enough. Yep. And then 10 knots I used to win by miles. And then it started blowing and these big fat guys that just cruised past you. <laughs> and my, Normal size human beings. <laughs> yeah. And Fingless, Fingless came to me and he said, I want to have a talk to Fletch. He said, I wish I'd listened to you. He said, I just wasted four years of my life and didn't get in the Olympic team. Yeah, and I always remember that when I when I was looking at people's goals and what they were going to do. Like sometimes you just, if you're the wrong size, you just can't do it. Yep. Well, mm. it's a very big thing, isn't it? Like especially over the last uh, ten years of ten or fifteen years of uh, you know four seventies and those types of boats, they worked it out. They worked out exactly what was required. Oh, they all did. They every every Olympic class, you had to be. Uh, within the two kilos, as the of the right weight, mm. yeah. And if it was if it was a fin, two ki two two kilos was okay. If it was a laser, it was two kilos was too much. One kilo, because yeah. you'd go up wind all right. You'd get the top mark and was about twenty five knots, and then you'd come off the wind and all the light goes. Guys are just they plane down to the bottom and you're gone. Yep. And that's, and, and like all those boats, when they get sailed at that intense level, everybody knows exactly what you've got to do and what size you've got to be. Also, what I love about this conversation is, uh, and Fletch, this is a bit of bar karate going on there for the listeners. So that was cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. Bar karate. So, Jay, do you want to explain bar karate? <laughs> oh, you know, Fletch, at the end of the day, when People finish their sailing and they're standing in the bar and they oh god yes they describe the you know I was here and yeah. you were here and that's what it's, bar it's, karate it's means. a natural thing for sailors to do and you were doing it so it was for the listeners out there who won't see the video uh, yeah in full flight that's where bar karate comes from I discovered it after about I don't know probably earlier than I realised that talking to people about sailing is a complete waste of breath. <laughs> because they they don't know how to sail properly, and they don't even understand what you're talking about. And there was one really thing we did at Gary Geats and I, because I did a a thing where I did big boats, and and Bob Fraser helped me do it. He and I were doing so, you know, high level coaching, and we'd get a couple of good ocean races. And go out there and put crews in them, and we'd go out and teach them how to trim them and all that stuff, and how to sail the targets. And so, so I'd given a lecture on. I used to go to a state and do it three, four days, you know, there after I'd flown in. And I'd, uh, I'd said, you know, we used to have a talk the first night so they'd know what we were going to do. And I gave them a talk on how to set the boat up, you know, and I said, they never pull the Traveller, the end of your boom above centre line. And don't think where the traveller and it's got nothing to do with anything. Look where the end of the boom is. And if it's on centre line, don't pull it up any further than that. And the traveller could be up here somewhere because there's not much wind. And when it's blowing, it could be down here. But the boom's still in the right place. Yeah, yeah. So when it gets windy, 
you can let some down, and but you can't go very far. The boom can only go about maximum off centre line here, not down here. Yep. And uh, so the next day we, we go out, and there's this guy in about a 36-footer, although he's on board, and he's got the boom. He's hooked up about this far to windward of the centre line and really twisted so the top's hardly working. And the jib's round in the foot like this. And I, and I went up and I looked at him for a while and I said, did you go to the lecture last night? He said, oh, yeah. <laughs> did said, you well, listen? Didn't you listen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I did. I said, well, how come you got your boom like this far to windward of the centre line? You remember I said never have it further up than the centre line? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we thought that was really good. But this is how we do it. <laughs> how many times? Said, that's how, yeah, it's oh, how we always do it. <laughs> yeah, you're sailing as slow, slow as anything. And I said, now put it back on the centre line and trim it up so it's not over trim and get the you know, get your jib set up properly. The next thing, the boat took off and I said, Oh, Jesus, we've never seen it go that fast before. <laughs> never seen all this before. <laughs> I, I got a wonder, Fletch. With, with That's that. why I, I ended up with the loud hailer. Yeah, yeah. So, and I discovered that if you want to coach somebody, you go out on the water and you talk to them while they're doing it. Yeah. And they say, have a look at the top of your sail. Now, he's the sheet, the tiny bit. Oh, not that much, just a little bit. You see the difference? Oh yeah, I can see that now. Yeah. And did you feel how the difference feel in the boat? All of a sudden, the boat started to accelerate nicely. Yeah, I did. So then, well, remember that, and and it's going to be, you know, the feel's going to be coming right through the range, and you've just got to learn how to do it, and and people can learn. There you go. People, people yeah, can yeah. learn. Well, otherwise, what do you want to coach for if they can't learn? So that's right. Yeah, they can learn. There's not, there's not many people do that. They yeah. still go out there and take videos and talk to the people about it when you get ashore. Remember when you were just off Steel Point two hours ago and the boat was a bit pippy and make you see the blank look on the person's face and they don't have yeah. a clue. Uh, uh, we're so still that's... And these are things I invented. When one stage they said, "said Would you come in and coach the whole fleet at the squadron? Because we want to lift the standard of the fleet because we've got some big races coming up in Sydney." And I said, yeah, "I can do that, but you're going to have to get on to every skipper and get them to agree, sign that I can talk to them while they're racing." And everybody but one said. Yeah, that's good. And it was one of them. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all know well. And, and then when I was out there, I just I just completely watched him until I saw him with a, a girl sailing an actual underneath him and they were a bit over trim. And she started to climb on them like this. And then they went trimmed on harder. Oh. And they went out the back door like this. So like... like Later on, I said, remember when you were sailing with that girl underneath? Because they always remember that. <laughs> they agreed. Oh, here we go. God. Well, I'm sure there's some huge stories about some big big sailors in general. but like the classic. But what happened was the whole level of the fleet came up 
And the guys that were winning a lot of the races, they started saying, hey, Fletch, you better stop this like it's getting hard to win. And it was because they all started the trim. And next thing, all of a sudden, more boats start arriving. Next thing you know, you got more boats sailing. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, that's that's something. I, 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 no, still nobody does it. That the AYF, you know, coaching things now has got, you know, headsets that are waterproof and everything. But when I suggested they get them like 15 years before, Oh, Jesus, yeah, oh, we can get that. It's not a problem. But then you say waterproof, and they go, well, hang on a minute. They're going to cost like 25000 bucks each because we're going to have to develop them so they're waterproof and all this stuff. And I just, just get the loud hailer and just yell at them. And <laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> it worked. That's it, mate. You want, you want your... your... Throttle control on your left hand and your right hand for your loud hailer. That's that's my theory yeah. on the coach boat. Well, I had a good boat. There was the console that everything was just there. Yeah, and say it's parked out the front. So I might get some yeah. photos on the way through. That could that could be our, our little uh, little photo, uh, a little teaser for the, for the little teaser. Yeah, <laughs> Fletch, we're, we're we're sort of out of time, bud. But I do want to ask one thing before we go. What what do you enjoy more, like coaching the kids or do you the Coaching the very top sailors, which is there a, something you enjoy more? <laughs> I guess, um, yeah, later in when I stopped doing Olympic stuff and I was just sticking around and coaching some of my mates and things like that, and somebody came to me and it was when New South Wales had a squad and so, yeah. Yachting Australia was different. And I said, no, somebody said, oh, we need a coach. I said, what for? And he said, said, we've got this fleet of 420, uh, not 420s. Um, 29ers? Eh? 29ers? 29ers. 29ers. Yeah, with one on the trapeze and yep. really good rigs in them and everything. And, um, and I said, no, oh, yeah, I'll do that. So then my mates were walking past and going, oh, how are you going to get on with an old fart like this, you kids? And I said, oh, we'll be all right. So I went out with them the first day and just typical of young people, like they have a concentration span of about an hour maximum. And and then it just gets hard work. So I, I said to them the next morning, I said, I've got a bit of news for you. you. You've got a concentration span, I figured yesterday, of about an hour. And a few of them said, you're being a bit uh, generous, aren't you? <laughs> I said, it possibly am. So I said, in future, I'm going to set the course on the way over here and we'll we'll go out there and we'll do some short races and we'll work like hell at getting things right. We'll do some start practice starts and do all this stuff, but work really hard at it. And after an hour, that's it. And we'll probably we'll think of something fun to do for the next hour. So we used to do the first hour, and they were into it. Yeah, and then their learn learning skills went like this, like they just were learning like hell, mm. and they were just amazed. They were saying, "Oh fuck, Fletch, this is great!" So the first hour you did hardcore sailing. What 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 did you do that was fun? Oh, obviously if it was a good breeze. We put spinnakers on and run up to Manly and come just back send to Manly. send it. Yeah, go up to around the opera house or doing something, anything. Yeah, that was. That you didn't normally do. Yeah. Putting fun into sailing, lads. I love it. I love no, it. Making sailing fun again. I like it. 
I love and it. People mate. used to used to come up and say to me, "Geez, you don't train those kids too hard." I said, "Just watch how good they get." Yep. The first the first state championship we had, they filled the first. I had ten boats. They finished the first ten places. <laughs> Nobody else, and they did that for about four years. Love it. They won every awesome. regatta for the next four or five years. Love it. And then they, <laughs> I ran into, I ran into, um, and Murray he'd taken over running the high performance thing, and he got under me, saw me, he said, "You got to come in and rejoin Yachting Australia," because I was working for. Yachting New South Wales because they're all merged. So I went in there and he's running the, the high performance area there. And I went in and, he's, and he just started killing himself laughing because he, he said, You've got to get your first stage certificate fixed up again. And I said, What are you laughing at? And she said, He said, Three of the girls from the office came in that were run the high performance and said, There's some guy named Fletcher reckons he's going to coach. I caught 29ers. He hasn't got any qualifications. <laughs> it does. He had to pass. He said, I just burst out laughing. And he said, give us five minutes. I'll write some of his qualifications. I'll, I'll, I'll get the AWIF book out. He, he'll, he'll get his sailing masters pretty easy. Oh. That were the people who were running yep. high performance. And a lot yep. of them came from Sports Institute in yep. Canberra yep. because they were all getting the sack. Yeah, they were getting the – they were – Taking the sports entities, the rowing over there and the something else there, and and that's in the institute of sport was going down. So that was pretty funny. It is funny. <laughs> it is funny, Fletch. I hear you talking there, my friend. I absolutely hear that one. Um, yeah, and I thought it was the funniest I, thing he'd ever heard of when they did. And he said. Some some of them came in and said to him, "Do you sail?" <laughs> yeah, he just won the world championship in the Etchells or something. Oh what dear, I, dear! You know, one of the yeah, your, your young protege Adrian Fingless gets on that. Uh, we have some great conversations over a beer about that sort of stuff, mate. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I worked with him. I, I, I ruined a lot of people's careers. He ended up a sailing coach, and Squats ended up running North Stars. Yeah. <laughs> You've done, you done okay. They speak very well. highly of you. And we used to, I taught them how to photograph the sails and how to work out the depths and all this stuff, yeah. and they got right into it, and they yeah. just kept going when they stopped, when they realised they couldn't sail together. Yeah, they kept going, that's true. Hey, mate, um, we're going to have to call it because um, – uh, we've we've got a full lot, but if BP, if you if he keeps chatting, you just keep recording, bud, and we can use excerpts because <laughs> there's some good stories coming out there, oh, mate. I, as uh, as I said to you, I think this uh, this could be a triple or a quadruple episode. There's no question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, see guys, I, um, there's a lot of good stories. I've got, but oh, mate, keep the stories about. going. I, I do have to bail out, but keep the stories going. Well, I think what we'll do is we'll get this one, get this one, and then get we'll this uh, one in the bag. Yeah, yeah, this and, is it. this is a good one. Yeah, just keep cool. recording if you if you want, BP. Yeah, but Fletch, boss, we'll drop off, mate. Um, it's been good to good to chat again. It's been a ton of awesome, fun, Fletch, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you soon, bud.
I guess um, personalities is the key here. And I guess we're talking about uh, someone who never takes a backward step and always says what he, you know, what he says he means. He's up front. Um, and that's kind of the way he's gone through his coaching career. It, he kind of fell into it, didn't he? Um, and it was a style that probably isn't around now. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of changed, but he's probably, he's probably been saying that he's probably shaped it. Um, the modern coach, but I don't think you're ever going to see another coach as such uh, like well, him. I think, well, first of all, um, you've been coached by him, Jordan. Mm -hmm. You've been coached by him, BP? No, I have not. Oh, all right. We're running at 66.6%. Yeah. But um, I remember just as a young fella, Fletch came to Lincoln um, for the school's teams racing stuff. And, I mean, what an honour. Mm. And I think he actually probably invented this you know the saying that he's forgotten more than anybody even knows anyway <laughs> yeah, that's it. yeah and you he's on that and i'm glad to see jordan that you've modeled your coaching career off such influences like fletch it's, yeah well uh, i mean that, that's kind of true boss like that really genuinely is true like when you're saying bp there's none like him i think there's a lot of his alumni that are, are, are picking picked up some of his habits you know like um you mentioned aids in the in the interview you know um we've got plenty of coaches out there at the moment uh doing it and they've all come through with fletch like he was as, as we said he was the original coach um and so you know uh you know you know my key takeaway there yep was of course you coach the person the way they sail the boat, steering with the rope, you know, just to get them feeling at home there. But the observation of everything else around to see what all the other boats are doing and how they do it and what's fast and what's not fast, that was one of the key things I took out of it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it, it, As a coach, yeah. I mean, you don't – like. With coaching, you know, you don't need to have sailed the boat. As long as – if you've got a bunch of boats out, you can actually just – pull it all apart and see it straight away, you know, like, um, so um, that observational element you're talking about, boss, is uh, is right there. So, you know. One of the other, one of the other key points as well, I don't know if it's sort of been being forgotten by the, you know, let's, let's call them, you know, the, the sports parents, you know, these days it's about, you know, even his philosophy was about the fun, you know, mm. he, he yep. never Spot lost on. that element and, our sport in particular. I mean, I'm go. I go through it with my daughters. I mean, I, you know, they're not they're not going to be sailors. I mean, no dinner if they don't win the third set. Well, that's it. Correct. You know, like, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's a fun sport, and if that uh, if that is forgotten, then you know, I think we're in all in a bit of trouble. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder, Mate. boys. I wonder. Do you reckon if Fletch was emerging now, he'd pull up alongside you after a race and say? You know, here's some Radix nutrition just to uh, to try and get would. you as well. Do you reckon he'd embrace that? Oh, of course he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He'd, he'd, be, he'd be on the latest of latest. Right. He, when he, if you look at his uh, look at where he was years ago, he was you know he was cutting edge. So yeah, I guess in the day he he was word has it he was handing out army rations. To <laughs> <everyone>. <laughs> this uh, is the modern day army ration. <laughs> it's another bow to the string, isn't it? So performance through health, uh, uh, it, it is kind of a great little thing just to have during you know uh, you know for me when I was 
doing big regattas and worlds, you know, you try and sneak a Mars bar into the um, into the tank and grab it, but now you could just rip out some Radix and away you go, sort of thing. That's quite just easy. to make sure you really get that sugar hit right <laughs> at the start at the gun time. Uh, of course, yeah, Radix yeah. has no sugar and no salt, so you don't have, you don't get that. That's right, mm-hmm. exactly right. So you know. You, you've got it way better. So, but anyway, if you're interested, just jump onto the uh, the website Radix Nutrition, and uh, remember, if you use the code Barkerati, you'll get a discount on us and uh, enjoy um, performance. As I said, through health, mm. absolutely. Mm. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. boys. So we moving on to other news, club events, all those sorts of things. Anything Man, uh, you guys want to bring up, or do you want me to lead on this one? Oh, um, you can lead. Jordan. Okay. Oh, Bring actually, it. don't Bring you have it. something, um, GP? Sorry, sorry to jump in like that. Oh, you well, were you were chief sizzler yesterday. I <laughs> was I was chief sizzler, but I got sacked. Oh, yeah. Well, is that because you were it. putting in orders for interstaters? No, no, no. <laughs> just explain what chief sizzler means for okay, those. Okay, so know. chief sizzler. So basically, guys uh, and listeners out there, and um, we've got uh, what call uh, the Sabo. Uh, state titles and the Sabo is obviously a, 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 a youth boat, uh, mainly sailed on the east coast of Australia. Fifty boats, yeah. absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, run by uh, Dremoyne Sailing Club just down the road, and uh, Jimmy Beck, a uh, very um, big name in uh, yachting in years gone by, is uh, putting a massive effort into it. And um, uh, yeah, look, uh, I was uh, I was there Friday night and uh, put my hand up to volunteer because it was all happening. And then uh, yesterday morning, a massive southerly came through. Um, short shortened sail, so all the parents were back on the beach. So the parents got in there, and I just went down there and ate. <laughs> well, I put my but order no, in, was, but I haven't seen was, my snag yet. It was no, it was uh, it was great. I mean, 50, 50 kids, uh, well, not fifty kids, fifty boats. So there's double handed and single handed. So there's you know, probably seventy five kids all sliding down the hill out the front on cardboard boxes while the parents sat around and uh, ate all the food. I love it. Love it. Mm. Cool. Okay. Hey, Jordan, before you do kick off with everything that's on the run sheet. Yeah. There's, of course, probably the second best race in the world, which is coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, Tickle Classic Adelaide Port Lincoln Yacht Race. You don't, you don't race bang on about this much. Week. You don't bang on about this much, do you? No, no. And I just wanted to remind the listeners of such the importance of such a regatta um, going forward. Kicking off Friday, the 16th, um, Adelaide to Port Lincoln. Going to be a bit of a showdown on Boston Bay between SMB and the new Hooligan, oh, yeah, um, which cool. will be taking part. Yeah, that's so, going to be interesting. Um, mm. Looking forward to taking part in the annual pilgrimage back to the uh, place of birth. Um, it's a pilgrimage, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll just have the same conversations on the rail as we normally do every year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how many yeah. Lincolns have you done? Yeah, mm. what happened here? Oh, do you remember when that guy fell? Like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, so, same yeah. Shit. Then, then get, there, get there and, you know. The, the so, um, pub, pub, pub chance, and I'll warn you now, um, if you were relying on me of doing any sort of recording during that period, <laughs> stiff shit. Won't we've, be tried. we've tried <laughs> in the past. We the, Didn't we go well. Go. We, we, know <laughs> we know. We don't think, excel in that Nikolai area. Sehest, Nikolai Sehested still talks about it. <laughs> we should actually... We should actually give ourselves a holiday over this time frame. Genuinely, should give ourselves a holiday because it's uh, it's never great. It's never great because uh, you know self control, boss. <laughs> no, it's you're not right. So much self control. It's just that it's a, something that one lacks. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the self control, Jay. It's just the time frame. I mean, you know, 
you do the race. It uh, for those for the listeners out there, it's 160 miles. It starts off sort of semi on the wind, and then it just opens up. And if you're on a sort of a semi, you know, fast racing boat, you can be there at three, four o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning. And presentation's not till Sunday afternoon. And, and we're actually going to chuck a couple of sails in this year, just to oh, a bit of training out on the yeah. Given given the showdown that's about to uh, follow, yeah, well, that's early. getting way too serious for Port Lincoln. Anyway, anyway, uh, anyway, we, we digress. So it's the Lincoln race, and then mm. so which goes Adelaide to Port Lincoln, Bicey's hometown, and. Uh, no time for a statue there, hashtag. Um, not time for a statue. <laughs> uh, and also then it follows on with Lincoln Week. Uh, so not only will the TPs be racing or the 52s be racing, there'll be a whole range of offshore boats. But then also the uh, got a message from Brian Partridge, who is the Australian I'm Sports Boat Association South yeah, Australian rep, yeah. uh, that the, um, the sports boat, National champs will be on during Lincoln Week, um, mm. including Julian Berthwaite will be there on the 89er. For those who haven't looked that one up, have a look. Um, with one with one Jimmy Beck. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's a 79er there uh, with Aaron Winkland on crank um, as well. So Brian on the, the 79er, Ben Kelsey on the Phuket 8. Remember when they came out? And mm. the Lions 750. So a bunch of uh, high. No, no Magic 25s? Yeah, well, I don't know. Do they count? Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. so that's that was a good one. But also, Brian mentioned one of our favourites. Let's be honest. If we're all going to be honest here, one of the favourite events is the um, the Malang Gulwa Gulwa Malang Racing. It is. Yeah. So yes. just yeah. just a heads up that is coming up on the March long weekend. It's looks like they're going the double header. So Gulwa to Malang and then Malang mm. to Gulwa. Um, it is a great event. It's and it's one of the old fashioned ones where you get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of boats at. I don't know if we still get those sorts of numbers, but uh, it is a good one to be involved in. So yeah, yeah. Um, I believe the mono hull record. What was it again? No. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Every Probably every not. every trailer sailor in that region has got a little Malangor plaque. You know, yeah, well, I assume assume everyone's had a go at thousands of those old far six thousands and yeah, <laughs> love, it. love it. Anyway, um, good fun. the The other thing is we're a couple of weeks out from, or yeah, just a couple of weeks out from the Banjo Shoreline Crown Series in Bell Reeve Regatta. Time to get your entries in. Um, plenty of fun on the water for that one. So that's that's a big one for those down in Tasmania. Um, in in southern Australia, across the on the across the international sea there to go to Tassie, so the Bell Reeve Regatta, um, so chase that one down. All sorts of things involved in that. SB Twenty Worlds uh, starting. Um, they've just held. You remember the old SB Twenties? They're in Dubai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, the I remember they had them all in Portugal. Boss, you remember that down at bloody yeah, um, yeah. There was a whole f- millions of them. St- down sitting in Portugal. Anyway, the Worlds are on uh, February this week. They've just held their Asia-Pacific champs, um, which uh, happened there. And I'm just trying to find, I think, 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 think. Uh, let's see. Former Barkaradian, Pippa mm. Kenton-Page, on the podium there with uh, the mm. boat Kids Nink. But 
The interesting thing is the the number of different nations that are competing. So the obviously the UAE's got quite a bunch. GBR, um, the Singaporeans. One of there's a lot of mixed nations going on there. Um, but the world's kicking off on that one. One Mr. Glenn Burke used to dominate in that class. Um, so yeah, just thought I'd bring that one to the fore. And then one that you probably want to talk about, Mr. Bice. We're about to kick off in the Caribbean. We've got the Caribbean, Caribbean 600 and, and the Cup Series. Yep. Caribbean, Caribbean season is upon us. Um, not only from a race, well, obviously from a racing point of view, but for racing yachts, everyone getting ready for the 600, Antigua, St. Martin, St. Bart's Bucket, Antigua, all those sorts of things. So we'll be keeping a close eye on those as we progress. Now, question for you, blokes, though. Mm-hmm. Has the 600, Caribbean 600, it's been around for a few years now, but is it becoming one of the more iconic races around the world today? I think it is. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Warm water, lots of changes of direction, a whole bunch of different things, fast sailing. Um, yeah, definitely a bucket list one. Uh, you know what? We honestly, genuinely, no banter on this one. We need to do Barcarati live over there. It, we need to. I think that that we have to head over for that. Um, it's <laughs> it's that's the ultimate, the bucket in my bucket list. Yeah, the buckets in your bucket. The, the double bucket. The double bucket. Like bucket. Double yeah. bucket. Yeah, yeah. yeah very good. Hundred percent. I think you're heading over there, aren't you, boss? Um, that may or may not be true, Jordan Spencer. <laughs> oh, I'm not allowed to say things. It's, alleg- it's alleged. No, yeah, it looks. Yeah, I'll be heading over St. Bart's bucket. So, um, you know, just a bit of big boat stuff. Love so, it. See how we go. Love it. You see the note about the Bruni Island race, which is currently not on. I haven't heard any results, but uh, that was being run at the moment. Yeah, uh, the Bruni Island race is on. Uh, correct. Wild Thing 100. Um, Wild Thing 100 has taken line on us, literally as we speak. There we go. That's correct. I'm just trying to pull all that detail up. uh, Wild Thing 100, both hull and mast. (laughs) (laughs) Alive uh, was next, then Porco Rosso, jazz player in fourth. So that was line on us. Jazz player was just jiving some So that's that's basically, I think it's the 97th running or something of that event. It's a a quiet race that just goes under under the radar, doesn't it? Uh, Yeah, a loop around around Bruni Island. Um, Mm. In terms of... um, Distance is about uh, 90 mile, about 87 nautical mile. Um, but yeah, uh, at the moment, Alive is leading the way uh, in terms of IRC, Porco Rosso in second. But yeah, it's the, the wild thing just hanging out down there. It's a good one. Um, mm. Very Lovely. cool. Nice uh, one. Right, just before we jump away from uh, events, we have to mention the most important one, I think, um, the Fireball World Start. Uh, they are, so we just had a uh, festival of sail in Geelong, and now we've you guys have left the the real sailors come out, and uh, the fireball world champs are on boys. You got any uh, any observations across this? No, okay. Um, They've just so had the, what's happened? It's they had the nationals first, right? Yep, just and then had they them. go into go world's. into the worlds. Yep. 
So Worlds will kick off today, I think, from memory or tomorrow. It doesn't matter when you're listening to the podcast. It's on this week, basically. So Nationals, as you said, Mr. Bice, have been completed. Um, a dominant performance from Dave Hall and Paul Constable uh, having a good win there. The interesting thing is our young mate, Mr. Ben Schultz, uh, who yes. is a well-known uh, entity around, uh, around Adelaide, sailing with the newly crowned Australian 505 champion crew, Angus Higgins, who is the 470, uh, is trying out for the 470s in the Olympics, uh, sat there in second, and obviously Angus very close, uh, and from the uh, very storied South Australian family, the Higgins family, uh, Mm -hmm. no choice but to go sailing in that family. Then uh, DJ Edwards and Viv Townend, in third, so that's sort of the form. Painey's there in uh, fifth. Oh, so there's a lot of names we know here, boys. An awful lot of names. Sophie Jackson into tenth. Uh, so Sophie, I think, sails with Angus in the four seventy. So that's interesting. So that's a big split. But yeah, mm. good. I think this would be work. fun. Great place to go sailing. And oh, uh, absolutely, yeah, perfect place for it. Yeah. So best of luck to all the competitors. We'll follow back up on this one. But somebody. I can guarantee out of this regatta will become a world champion. Yeah, that's, mate. That's, your that's vision given. sometimes <laughs> is beyond me. I don't know where – you must be born with this. I, I was sitting here wondering what was going to happen, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. No, no. You, you know, you got to – once you sort of – it's from all that coaching with Fletch. brings it right through. Exactly. Is that sort of your – is that your pep talk that you get there with your team? You sort of get there and go, okay, guys, this week someone is going to be a world champion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah, no, can't it be yeah, you? We're That's at, not, we're far at, not far off. He used to come and do that at the whole fast trainer state titles. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Dan, you know what? God damn it, he was right. Uh, yep. Someone was well. You the Rainbow the Nationals. You could do the same at the Saturdays <laughs> this week. We'll fly you down today for the uh, for the for the last mm. last day, and one of you guys are going to be a world champion. I, I was yep. brought in. I was brought in to do a talk for just before for the. Uh, you, the South Australian basketball team or something for ahead of the national, the under-18s or the under-17s, and they asked, brought me in to do a motivational talk. And the first thing I had to address was, why is there a sailor talking to you about, <laughs> you know, <laughs> about a, na- a basketball tournament? But it, was, it went well. Um, the good news was you were sitting down, but it looked like you were seven foot tall <laughs> just because <laughs> they just saw your head. <laughs> Oh dear. Um, all right. Vicobi, oh, the Jack Lloyd listener of the week, uh, our friends at Vicobi provide uh, a monthly award, $200 voucher for, for the listener of the month. So make an effort um, to get that in. The important thing, just while we're talking, Vicobi, they've got a massive wetsuit sale going on at the moment. So if you are needing a bit of neoprene, invented in 1933, um, then what, this. Vicobi wetsuits? <laughs> yeah, no, just going back to our intro, BP. Um, yeah, they're, they're having a big sale, so go online to the Vicobi website and uh, V A I K O B I. Fantastic mm. guys, fantastic family behind that company, and, and jump on board for that one. Um, Got a little bit of feedback from uh, the Vicobi 18 down at the uh, oh, palace yeah. the other day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, that was good to see them down there. They're so. doing well, aren't they? They're going quite well. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're doing a lot. Well, well, as long as they're getting the sponsor doesn't affect them because they, they've dropped out of the uh, top three to fourth now. Oh. So. Mm. 
mm. yeah, they you know don't have to go so they do take so a couple of wild. They do take a couple of sort of extreme moves at times, so they just got to work that out of there. No, they're they're, they're good young kids, and uh, they're uh, they're pretty excited. They get the boat down there, and they're giving it the tweak, so it's all good. Yep, no worries. Um, right, so for our first listener, um, bit of a sad one. Yeah, we got to say one. Um, so Mike Forbes has sent in a note and said, "Look, guys, it's a while since I pestered you, but um, I know you like to keep the show upbeat and funny. But a serious topic, and listeners might relate. Casting back to episode two, two, three from memory with Elka Acker and skin cancers and related topic. So this is important. This is uh, this is clearly the email that we wanted to get out this week because of that whole discussion around skin cancer. But unfortunately, in regard to the recent passing of Sydney Sailor and good friend to a large group of sailors and listeners of the show, mm. BP knows her and her partner Jeremy, oh, she, Jessa yeah, Rolls. Uh, she and her actually sailed with me on the K8 up in the uh, Sports Boat Nationals. So yeah, it was a bit close to heart for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, well, so do you want to read this, BP, or are you happy for me to go, mate? No, you go for it. Um, yeah. It's all good. Yeah, so her, her name is Liz Borberg, um, and she succumbed to a melanoma on the 8th of January uh, at 43 years of age, so far too young to leave us all. Her birthday is in just two weeks, on the 23rd of February. Even though she didn't make 44, she was fighting it all the way. Um, an avid big boat sailor, a windsurfer, more recently a wing dinger, a large wake was held at RANSA in Rushcutters Bay on Friday, 19th Jan, and the seeds were sown to enter into the Lake Macquarie Heaven Can Wait Cancer Charity. We haven't really plugged that one. They need to reach out to us. But that is a great event uh, that they race around um, on Lake Macquarie. It's held out at Toronto Royal Motor Yacht Club, which is uh, um, a great part of Lake Macquarie. Three levels of racing around the lake, one dash, 12 hours and 24-hour race. Maybe we should get a boat, boys. Mm. Um, he's getting to this. The Commodore of the Lake Macquarie Yacht Club, Steve Ford, generously lent his Sydney 39, called Fathom to 10 ladies from Sydney Lake and the pit, and they entered in the one-lap dash and finished a respectable 18th out of 61 boats. More importantly, they raised almost uh, they raised $7,500, uh, bolstering the overall amount of the weekend for 85000 between 61 boats, the most that's ever been raised in the 16 years of the regatta. Doing it for Liz was their tagline. Thought awesome. it was worth a mention of how sailing community, especially Aussie sailors, chip in when asked. Well done. All I can say is just have one for Liz on the 23rd. Um, Mick also forwarded some uh, photos and has sent a link. We might publish this, boys. The Do It For Cancer yep. fundraiser, um, doing it for Liz, Berg, Borberg is going to go up. So that's a, I think that's a pretty important email. Uh, not our it normal is. sort of email, but the whole cancer thing, sun damage, what you have to do. We were pretty serious when we got Elkie on the show. Um, that was one I've always wanted to go on there. I was literally just peeling bits of skin cancer off me just before. Be careful out there, kids. Cover up. Yep. Thanks for, uh, Borbsy, for bringing that to our attention mm. and to the listeners' attention too. So, as you say, Jordan, can't ever be too careful. Um, so. Yeah, and we might lead into this next letter. I might just – can I throw it in for – I might do it, Bicey, and then it leads into you, buddy. So, um, yep. Denise Del Mundo sent us a little note um, – which was pretty cool. The 
There's a couple about the Asian Globe race, which I think will lead into you, but the important thing is well, about Translated Nine and a few things going on, but I'll let you do that, Bice. But uh, she mm. did mention um, she loved that Maiden rounded the horn on girls and women in sports day, so oh. which is a good spot. Good well, pick up, Denise. Denise, all over it. Um so, yeah, and there's a bit more going on with that event. But to do that... Ole, 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 ole. Hot, hot, hot. It's hot time with Bice. Boy, <laughs> brings a smile to my face. It's, it's like ripping a fart, isn't it? It's never try, not funny. <laughs> I try not to laugh. I do. I try not to laugh. It just sort of just happens. You should, uh, you should get Harry to record while you're at Lincoln and get everyone to do their own version of it, like... <laughs> just put the music on there and have other people doing it, and it'd be hilarious. Right? Oh, could you imagine if the song came on at the nightclub? <laughs> oh, Jesus! Audio man, BP. I've just had an idea. Oh, I love it. Love ideas. Every I've time we proposal. go out together from now, on, we're going to be doing requests. Can you do? <laughs> Can you play hot, hot, hot? It's Buster we're... Poindexter. It's the Poindexter. This is how much I remember. That was about 1990, 91. That came out. Buster Poindexter was his name, I reckon. And the song's called Hot, Hot, Hot. That's I'm going off memory, but and that just date. That I'm willing to be called that. out on that, but no, 1990 or 91. I don't care. I don't care. I love the name Buster Poindexter. Yeah, so do I. It was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I won't be at the nightclubs anyway, so I won't be part of it. So. No, um, of course not. No. So, all right, straight OGR, gents. Yep. Um, and yeah. it's kind of like the busiest on. place on earth at the moment. Cape Horn, yeah. And that yeah. is Cape Horn. Mm. Um, we've got majority of the fleet have rounded Cape Horn. Well, probably half as we speak, um, which is also um, the place where the old teams are mm-hmm. at the moment. <laughs> the so intersection. The, watch the yourself. The intersection. Watch yourself, OGRers. Yeah. Um, quickly on the OGR side, though, like as we know, no technology on board as such. Yes. Just go go to the tracker. Ladies and gentlemen out there, just check their tracks. Oh, it's. I think there are a few nervous people at times because they're in pretty close quarters getting around the horn. Not to mention, at some points, there was like, is that boat going to go inside? Is it going to go around? They have to jibe. They need to be contacted. There was one little, um, I saw a Facebook post from OGR. They got, were getting a little bit nervous with one of their um, competitors that they couldn't get hold of. Mm. And then you look at the tracker now and it's like, oh, geez, right on the lee shore. And then they finally jibed or tacked or whatever, got out of there and mm. just heading around the horn now. Um, in other news, OGR Translator 9 has suffered some hull damage. They're mm. going to the Falklands um, just to suss out what's going on. I've looked Probably at the video. It. Yeah. So um, it's wor- worth a look H- for how'd sure. How did you get the video? Yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I threw that out there just to see if you buy it. <laughs> exactly. Well, how? What? Because no technology allowed on the boat. So one, how do they do a video? And two, how do they get it off the boat? Um, Albatross. Albatross. Pretty, pretty clear. Yep. VHF. VHF. <laughs> in a, Up in, in the a air. waterproof. In a waterproof box. Throw it no, in no. the air. Albatross grabs it and flies it up to the flies it up to the peninsula. So the Albatross <laughs> grabs the pelican. Ah, Pelican case with <laughs> all the case. stuff in there. <laughs> he he flies it up. He flies it up to the uh, Chilean. Flies it up to uh, the Starlink, the Starlink uh, satellite. 
Oh, I'm plugs, it in, plugs, it in, plugs it into the old VHS. In USB, yeah, USB C now. <laughs> what you? What it, tra- it translate the VHS tape cassette recorder? Oh yeah, no, USB. technology, mate. Elon Musk, he's all over. Those, it. Al- those albatross are all over it. Anyway, um, for the listener, we ramble. Uh, mm. Go on, check it. Go to the OGR website, check it all out. It's all happening out there. Um, they're all getting around the horn. Everything looks hokey dory. Um, compared to a dar tour go where things are a little bit sketchy. Mm. Yeah, Speaking yeah. of the horn, mm. as mentioned, the Arkea Old Team Challenge. Um, good mate Charles Cordiliers definitely leading the way nicely, just beating his way. Well, just going heading up the heading up the hey. coast now. Home stretch, five thousand miles to go. Mm. Is it going to be a record? Ooh, 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 don't know. Stand by. Standby. He's doing an amazing job, isn't he? Just amazing. Absolutely. Even yeah. he even sort of like he was very smart. I noticed during the week he he just basically stopped the boat whilst that it got ugly. He didn't. Uh, he stopped racing yeah. seriously just to cruise through. You know. So absolutely brilliant. Um, we got Ma- um, um, Armel Leclish about to go around the horn as we speak um, on the bank hop after his kind of dual stop. Yep, dual stops, but. Whilst I've banged on about this pretty much every week is kind of one of my favourite events going on at the moment. I'm still I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, um, wasted two briskets. Basically, there were two or three <laughs> two or three opportunities for the Frenchies to drop in for a brisket. Yeah, they didn't choose that little old Adelaide. We might they, have to move it. Um, Time to deploy the barge, I think, gents. Lost yeah, in translation? Did you did you put I, the I notice out in French? translation? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, think I said, uh, "Le guys, there's <laughs> the a brisket. brisket on at me love home." We <laughs> oui, we, oui. you're fluent, mate. <laughs> you're effluent. <laughs> well done. Uh, now, cool. like I said, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you can always just have them on in the background. I'm sure they'll get eaten. Yeah, but, you know. no, I've had one on for eighteen days now. Imagine how tender it's going to be. Mm. <laughs> well, All right, that's, um, that's called slow cooking. Your other one, boys, Ilka Masterwelds is done and dusted. Oh, yes. Um, I won't go through all the winners, um, but there's some pretty prominent names up there. Once you go through the Apprentice Masters, the Masters, the Grandmasters, Great Grandmasters, the Legend Fleet in both Ilka 6 and Ilka 7, it's, um, yeah, we'll be here all day. So, but everybody wins uh, Go check it out. Adelaide Sailing Club again. Well done to Adelaide Sailing Club. Mm. Phenomenal three events with the Nationals and Oceanas. Then, of course, the seven world, the Worlds, and then, of course, the Master Worlds. Um, and a shout-out to all the volunteers that took part. Um, just going back to uh, Roy Lee's chat last week. It it, um, it was big, as you said. Yeah, yeah well done. Um, I was just, you know, they got the perfect weather. You know, like oh, well, that's the other thing yeah. mentioning. Yeah, you know, the weather's not normally like this. No, damn actually, like it was. Before. It was. It was typical <sighs> classic Adelaide. Adelaide sea breeze conditions. A oh, good twenty twenty bus every day. Beautiful and, mornings. Um, yeah. which, 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 from a world's point of view, mm. when mm. you're talking these guys all going to the Olympics, it's that's one side of it. When you're a in the masters, masters, there's a bit of fun attached to. There couldn't have been a worse bloody forecast, <laughs> yeah. I tell you. 
for, for yeah, those, I did, I did I did read a write up from uh, one Andy Dyer, which was quite yeah. funny. I don't know if you saw that. He yeah. said, uh, "Whoever just a bit of relief." Come yeah, on, <laughs> he said. He said. Um, he said, uh, "Just rounded the bottom mark." He was yelling out to photographer to hurry up and take the photos because he's got nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> for those, so well done, Ted Brown. He took part. Yeah, um, and of course, Adelaide Sailing Club. Yeah, for the for the non locals who haven't done Adelaide, Adelaide's sort of a forgotten part of Australia in many times, and all three of us sort of that's where we all met and stuff. And the sailing off Adelaide is as good as it gets. The conditions are just you know like you you get everything, but. When you get a sea breeze, it's pumping and it's strong and it's in the ocean and she's. But you have these. You have these. I was just talking about the mornings. The mornings there, when you yeah. when you know it's when it's in those in that pattern, mm. you know the clear skies and the walks on the beach. It's just stunning. And you know, mm. and then and then the breeze just comes at one o'clock. Yep, she's on. Very good. Two twenty at two o'clock. Used to stand. Yeah, that's it. Used to stand there with my wetsuit on and me and me and me windsurfer there. Ready to go. Wind seven. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anything Arms else? On. Boss? Um, no, that, well, I want to throw to you on this one, Jordan, in your backyard, so to speak, surf to city. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah which... it, we can't really say too much because the classic conditions for the surf to city, so that is at least from Southport in Queensland and heads north to Brisbane. It's it's It, it heads actually around um, uh, the top of Stratty. North Stratty, and then comes back into to near Redcliffe, which is the start of the Brisbane to Gladstone. Um, so it's uh, basically it's it was twenty five knots from the southeast, uh, oh, good two meter swell running. It's absolute awesome. dream conditions. Uh, like you're wet in your pants because you, you just sail basically downwind. You've got about um, a one mile beat, and then you've got a power reach across into the finishes. Basically how the whole race sets up. So you got, you know, you're downwind for about eighty mile and then oh probably fifty mile and then and then uh, yeah, a mile beat and then a power reach. And that's pretty much the standard for it. That's how Queenslanders race. Um and she she was glamour. But one of the problems being with this race is they don't do results. They hang sit on the results for a while. They try and hide them until presentation. God knows why. Well oh, that's fair enough too. I mean in this day and age to actually not show results mm-hmm. when everyone's working it out. It's like the kids' footy is what I'm going to put it down to. Oh, they don't same. take a result, you know, count the goals and points. But, yeah, everyone knows. Yeah. Oh, everyone sure knows. knows. Or is it a special Queensland rating rule? Yeah, it could be. It could be. Yeah, they're waiting for bribes Depending at the moment. on what time the race is won and, and depending buy. on where your boat's from, you're yeah. either half an hour ahead or half an hour yeah. or an hour behind, <laughs> rather. But, I mean, it gets some great swell. Uh, like, I did it last year, and I was going to do it this year. I was There was a couple of boats I was going to jump on board, but um, then with Barker Radio, I didn't, couldn't fit it all in. So no, I'm commitment to the good course. To, good to see you. Well, you there. two can fly it off, but... I've got the I've got the magic box that does all the stuff, so I can't actually I can't I've never skipped an You're episode if for You're those pinned. who've we never know noticed. That. We know that. Yeah, yeah. So you, you um, are the glue that binds us together, Jordan <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spencer. Move on. Anyway, you so are the leader. You are the you are it would have been the, it would have been an absolute cracker. Um, to you hold do. the key, Jay. You hold the key. <laughs> but I didn't get to do it. But for those who did, would have had an absolute ball. Um, so yeah, yeah but uh, results will come back to you with on that one. But it would have been. I was just thinking about Barkrady without you. It would be just the voice. <laughs> Shut it, the hell up. Anything else, boys? Because I've got one other. No. Nah. Go, boys. Uh, a lot of fun this week. We saw from West Papua. 
which is the oh, western side of did. Papua New Guinea. Um, there was uh, a Two big, great sort of big sailing, tour boat, yeah. and uh, we saw AMAM, our mate Alistair, mm. with his mate and our mate Pete. So Peter Harkin. Pete Harkin and the Ronston, uh, Ronston Harkin Challenge. The Ronston Harkin Challenge. The boys went away on a, a busman's holiday together. They went sailing on a big, big old, uh, I guess it was a square rigger, I don't know, but an old large sailing boat. And they took all the fam and friends and uh, spent a week uh, on this boat together. And they were sending out photos and banter. And it was it was great to see. And it, it was great. I think there was a guy from West uh, in the US that went along as well. Um, so the um, good business, you know, the, the two biggest brands in that space, just they love each other. It is quite funny to watch. Um, it is quite funny well, to watch. Well, it was, wasn't much love when the Ronstan flag went up. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. I reckon he, what would be interesting said, is both, I think their banter game would be at different times of the day, Yeah, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, for example, when we do Bark Rady in the AM, in the morning times, I'm, mm. I love my morning banter. By the end of the day, I'm kind of almost bantered it out. All right. Bantered I kind it, of run, you know, I start high and then I just slowly tick away. It's Whereas coffee, other people, have, they rush. need to warm up to the banter. Mm. So they're, at some point in time, there would have been a natural crossover. crossover. And oh. then that's when it just stuff would have come alive. Mm. I suspect that's when all the photos were taken. Yeah. And then the someone the was on fire. Climax. You're saying there's a banter was climax. Like shutting it down. <laughs> You're saying there's a banter climax. Oh, yeah, there's a limit. There's a limit. Mm. Generally on the golf course, that's my best banter. Or actually in the uh, Elliot's on Friday, had a bit for those young little smart-ass buckaroonies. (laughs) (laughs) Smart-ass buckaroonies. I love it. I love it. All right, boys, I think that's us then. Another great week. Nice work, boys. Um, Get out to any of my Kiwi, mate. See you uh, you in the land of the long white cloud in the next couple of days. Yeah, um, it's going to be a difficult one to get us together the next few weeks. But anyway, we'll uh, give it a go. Anyway, just skip shit, boys. Just pray show. that Japan's got um, internet. Um, what? Oh yeah, you're on your on the road, aren't you? Yeah, next weekend. I'm, I'm got away. your board. Oh. Yeah. Is that you the getting new helmet? The... Getting new helmet? Yeah, I got. I've got a special one, custom made. <laughs> Is that the trip that you're going twice? Too? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So uh, what are you going to do? You're going to fly there, fly back, then fly there, and then fly back. Just, just leave that alone, shall we, BP? Oh, <laughs> My oh, wife's embarrassed enough. <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, well, listeners, thanks for joining. Now you haven't got the money to spend on it, have you? Nice boys. Thanks for listening. Love your work. work. Yeah, yeah and remember, um, j- jump on to Radix Nutrition if you are chasing uh, some food for all your adventures. Like I will be taking to Japan. Oh, you'll have some up in the house. Yep. yep. I like will actually genuinely be taking some with me just uh, to make sure. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm all go to Radix Nutrition and you'll get a discount when you use the code Barkarati. Um, on us. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. And well I hope you enjoyed this one. Well, it's